we're beginning a series that we're calling Transplant, and, 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 and it's really about the heart. And uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about several things. But it's kind of interesting to me, um, you know, Mother's Day, and we express our love. And, and uh, a lot of you don't know this. In fact, go ahead and put this picture up, if you would. Pastor Tommy got a, got a gift for his mom. And, uh, um, and so uh, we're, we're really kidding. Some of you are like, I don't know. Can we laugh about that in church? Are we all right with that? Anyway, no. But there's something about hearts and expressing love. And, 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 and you know, the word heart and the idea of the heart gets a lot of play in life, doesn't it? I mean, we talk about the heart. We reference the heart, the heart of the matter, a lot of different things. And so we're going to be talking about some of those things because the heart wants what the heart wants sometimes. And you can always trust your heart, right? Anybody ever trusted their heart and found out their heart wasn't that great to trust anyone? All right, some of you have. All right, good, good. Well, we have a little clip for you, and then we'll, uh, then we'll, we'll get into the message this morning. Pain. Every person knows what pain is. In fact, every person on the planet has been wounded by pain at some point in their life. For some, pain is a feeling. For others, it's decades of emotional frustration revealed to the world in ways of bitterness, anxiousness, pride, addictions, jealousy. But all of these are merely just symptoms of a bigger problem. The problem is a heart that's been broken. And it's in the state of brokenness that pain begins to take root. Pain that's pounded deep into our hearts causing us to form beliefs that were never meant to be there. In fact, we end up protecting our pain. We keep it captive and sometimes fail to realize that the very thing we're trying to avoid has become our very identity, broken. Jesus said he came to bind and heal the brokenhearted. What that means to us is that it's possible to live with a whole heart. It's possible to live knit together. It's possible to live in a place where our beliefs are centered and wrapped around the healer. The heart's an amazing thing. Actually, the Bible has a lot to say about the heart, the heart of humanity, the heart of, uh, heart of us. You know, if, if we would look into the Bible, depending on the translation that you use, over 800 times we find the word heart. And uh, the heart is, is very prominent, not just in the Bible, but the heart is very prominent in, in our language, how we talk about things, how we, how we discuss events and, and, you know, express love, different things like that. I asked a couple of people, um, you know, give me some phrases of the heart, ways that we would commonly use the idea or the thought of heart. I mean, when we're around the church world, how many of you know that we many times would say, or at least when I was a kid particularly, we would say, we need to accept the Lord into our, into our heart. We would, and, and I remember as a child thinking, how, 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 how do I do that? How do I get Jesus into my heart? I mean, he wouldn't fit, first of all, because I'm a little kid with a little heart, and he's a big guy. How is he going to fit? It always, it always, and my mom would try to explain it to me, and it was just, I, I'd never understood. But, but we, use that, we use that phrase that way. When we want to encourage somebody, we would tell them, hey, don't lose heart, or really put your heart into it when we're trying to encourage them. Other times, if we 
recognize that we need to have a difficult conversation with somebody, we would say something like this, you know what, my heart is just breaking for them. And so you begin to tell them that, hey, I want to sit down with you, and we're going to have a little heart-to-heart. Because after all, you know, I, I want you to really hear my, my heart on this because I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. And if you've ever had a conversation like that, you might have been walking away from that thinking, well, I appreciate that because I know that they're, they're an idiot, but at least their heart was in the right place. <laughs> when we're trying to really be honest as opposed to kind of just a little honest, we'll say, I crossed my heart. When it comes to people, we might say, oh, they have a heart of gold, or because they're cold-hearted, we might say, oh, come on, have a heart. Sometimes when we're doing something, we would recognize, look at them and say, oh, man, they're just giving a half-hearted effort. They're not even trying. Or when we really want to commend somebody, man, they know that by heart. When it comes to guidance, when, we, when it comes to knowing what to do, we'd say, let your heart be your guide, or trust your heart. We might ask somebody, what's your heart telling you to do? We might use the phrase like this, your heart is going to lead you. Or like I said, your heart wants what the heart wants. Sometimes that's not good. And when we're getting to the end of something, we'll talk about the heart of the matter or we will say from the bottom of my heart. The heart's used a lot. And when we begin to express these different ideas of the heart, really what we're saying is we're talking about the core. We're talking about something deep down on the inside of us. We're talking about something that, that is, is, is really within us. It's the intimate, intimate part of the inside of us that we're really referencing and that we're really talking about. And that's what the Bible is talking about when it uses the word heart. Listen to this scripture In Hebrews chapter four and verse 12, this is the New King James Version. It says, the word of God is living and powerful. Means it is alive, it is full of power and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, you may have heard that scripture and many times around here, what we will do... we, I, I find myself explaining. I'm always trying to explain teaching. I, I want to help people understand what the Bible is really trying to say. And so when, when the writer of Hebrews is saying this, that the word of God is alive and active, it's like a sword that can cut, it can divide. And it divides between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We, we use a terminology around here because it's in the Bible. We talk about spirit, soul, and body. How many of you know that your body, that's the outward part of you, that's the part that all of us see this morning, that's your body, or sometimes we call it the flesh. That's your body. But how many of you know that your body isn't all all that you are? You have a soul, that is your mind, it is your will, and it is your emotions. And you have a spirit, the spirit is the real you. You are a spirit being, first of all. And one day, this body, this house, as the Apostle Paul called it, this is a house that your spirit is living in. Eventually, this body is going to cease to exist. And when this body ceases to exist, you don't cease to exist. You continue on. It is this physical body that gives you the authority or the right to exist on planet Earth. Much like you would need a space suit to exist in outer space, you need an Earth suit to exist on planet Earth. Once this earth suit ceases to function, you can't operate here anymore. We call you dead. Sorry for being that maybe rude this morning, but, but uh, it, it, is, it is what it is kind of a thing. It's the heart of the matter. And so, um, 
you know, but, but that doesn't mean that you cease to exist. And so we divide spirit, soul, and body in effort to, to, to try to teach and make a distinction between the three. But what, what the writer of Hebrews is writing about here is something that is so incredibly complex that it takes more than just human wisdom. It takes more than just natural understanding. Because when we talk about the spirit and the soul and the body and then throw in our emotions, throw in our feelings, throw in you know, the influence from around our life, it becomes incredibly complex who we are. Look at the person next to you and say, you are incredibly complex. What he said, yeah. <laughs> we are incredibly complex beings. And, 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 and so when we're talking about the heart, we're talking about the, incredibly com- the incredible, incredible complexity of who we are. Listen to this from the Phillips translation. It says it like this. For the word that, God's, for the word that God speaks is, hang on, I love this sometimes. Un momento, por favor. I have a testimony here. All right. No, just kidding. I don't know why this is doing this to me today, but I love technology. All right. Hebrews 4.12 from the Phillips says, for the word that God speaks is alive and active. It cuts more keenly than any two-edged sword. It strikes through to the place where the soul and spirit meet, to the innermost intimacy of a man's being. It exposes the very thoughts and motives of a man's heart. The place that soul and spirit meet, the deep intimacies, that's the heart. That's the heart of who you are. It's the heart of who I am. And it is the heart of the matter that God is trying to address many times when we see the word heart in the Bible. And this becomes really important in a lot of different ways because when we, as we begin to take this apart, when we begin to understand the heart of the matter, the, the core of who we are, and, and we're, we're thinking of the blood pump of our, in our chest, obviously that's not what it is, but yet the blood pump in our chest is really the core. I, as somebody says, you know, once the heart stops, the life stops. We can sometimes get it back, but, but, but for all intents and purposes, once, once that heart stops beating, your life ends. And similarly, your heart is the life force of your life. And the heart is really, really important. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. I'm sorry, your life, Proverbs chapter four, Paul didn't say this. Proverbs chapter four and verse 23 says, keep your heart with all diligence. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. The word keep means to guard. Guard and protect your heart with all diligence. Now, when you see this phrase, all diligence, when the Bible tells you to be diligent about something, don't you think that perhaps we should maybe, you know, shake off the slumber a little bit and be diligent about this? If the Bible, God's word is telling us, be diligent, guard your heart diligently, be aware of this. And the reason that we are to be aware and guard our heart diligently is because he says, from your heart flow the springs or the issues of life. The New International Version says this, for everything you do flows from your heart or flows from it. Everything that you do today flows from your heart, the core, the the innermost part of you. Everything that you do flows from your heart. The Living Bible says that they influence everything else in your life. Your heart influences everything else in your life. The New Living Translation says, your heart determines the course of your life. Your heart 
The innermost being, the very core and fiber of your being influences and determines the course of your life. It is from your heart that the issues or the waters or the forces of your life will flow. That's the reason you need to guard it. That's the reason that you need to protect it. And because of that, here's, what, here's really why all of this is important. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 10. Now, well, let me read the verse and we'll explain it. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, for with the heart, or in the very core of our being, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Say this after me, the heart believes. Or say it this way, with the heart, I believe. Beliefs are formed in your heart. The convictions of your life are formed on the inside of you. Now, we'll use this in an evangelical way, in a, in a theological way. Romans 10, 9, and 10, it says that God, you know, if we believe that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, if we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, then we will be saved. We believe that it is the action of us believing something and saying something that causes a miracle to happen in my spirit. It causes my spirit to become brand new. I don't get it from tradition. I don't get it from being a good person. I get that. I get that new life from faith that God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus died on Calvary's cross. He shed his blood and that blood was shed so that I could be forgiven. And then after he died, he was raised from the dead. And now Paul said that if we believe that and if we confess that, then a miracle happens on the inside of us. For or because with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So with my heart I believe, but not only that, listen to what Jesus said in Mark 11. In Mark 11 verse 23, he said, for, for, for assuredly I say to you, whosoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. He does not doubt down in the very core or fiber, the very depth of his being, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, the reason, and we love this scripture when it comes to faith, but the reason, that, the reason that, that, that I use these two scriptures in contrast to one another is to, again, show the complexity of our heart. I believe with my heart. Believing happens in the heart. But guess what? I can doubt in my heart also. Doubt and unbelief are cousins. I, I like to call them cousins. They aren't the same thing. We sometimes, you know, kind of use them in the same breath, full of doubt and unbelief, that kind of thing. But doubt happens when I don't have enough information. Doubt happens when I'm unsure of something. If, if I was lost, it would never happen. But if I was lost and I stopped somewhere to ask for directions, that definitely does happen. I'm not afraid to do that. If I stopped to ask for directions and a person came up to me and I said, you know, how do I get to such and such place? And they begin to give me instruction. I have a decision at that point. They give me that, that, that instruction, and, and, and if I'm unsure of the person's character, if, if the person gives off an air that they don't know what they're talking about or, or, or they're leading me astray, I'm going to doubt that. I don't have enough information. It's incomplete. But along with doubt is something else that's called unbelief. Unbelief is a decision that once you've been presented information, you make a decision not to believe it. Unbelief is, is a decision to not believe. And so really it's a negative belief, but regardless, that all happens in the heart. That happens in the core of our being. It happens deep down on the inside of us. And this is incredibly important to understand this. 
Because if we miss this, then we're gonna be frustrated in our Christian life. If we don't understand this, if we fail, we're gonna live far below what God has in store for us. And as I mentioned earlier, God's got a plan for your life. We as a church wanna help you find out what that plan is. It's why we do Growth Track, step three. It's all about finding that purpose. It's all about finding that reason that you are here. Step one is about getting to know your savior. And if you're gonna get to know why God made you, it's a good idea to get to know your savior first of all. He's the reason that you, he's the reason that, that, that you have life in the first place and he has a plan for your life. And you need to get to know him, but you also need to get to know that plan that he has for you. But our heart many times is the reason that we live far below what it is that God has for us. Our hearts are designed. How many of you have ever moved and used a U-Haul truck? Anyone? How many of you have ever moved a great distance with a U-Haul truck? How many of you have discovered that they are as slow as molasses? And there's absolutely nothing in the world that you can do to make it go faster. Anyone? We've moved several times. We moved from, Pitts, or from Pennsylvania to Minnesota. And when we made that move, I was so frustrated. Because no matter how hard I pushed on the gas pedal, I never got above 60. Drove me crazy. Because I'm thinking to myself, just 10 miles an hour faster over the course of you know, so many hours, I'd be, you know, it's, I'd be there an hour earlier, whatever it is, I'm calculating in my head, and I'm frustrated, and I'm just pushing as hard as I possibly can to try to finally go down a hill, it might make 61, you know, something. The reason that that happens is because they put a governor on it, we use the word governor, a limiter, that will, it will not, the, the truck is capable of going faster, but it, they, it isn't allowed to go faster. In a similar fashion, your beliefs, what you believe, what you believe in the very core, in your heart, your beliefs govern, they're over, and they rule what you think, what you say, and what you do. What you think, say, and do, the actions of your life, they are formed by and incubated by your heart. And that's the reason that your beliefs are so important. That's the reason that your beliefs are so powerful. That is the reason. And, and just like, you know, uh, Steph and Pastor Tommy and, and uh, Kathy, uh, they put this heart together. And I asked them, I said, well, how many nails? There's a lot of nails in here. I said, how many nails are in there? And I couldn't get an answer other than a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of nails. Oh, how much string? There's a lot of that too. And, and, one of the things I was cautioned with is, is be very careful, don't pull these out because once you pull out one or two of these nails, the heart is going to lose its shape. Well, in a similar fashion, each one of these nails gives the heart its definition and it gives the intricacies of the heart its definition. But if you began to remove some of these nails, that heart would be misshapen. That heart would be broken, if you will. That heart wouldn't be exactly the same. It wouldn't look right. Similarly, in our life, we've got beliefs that form the outline of our life. We have beliefs that form and shape and pattern our life. It's what the writer of, of, of Proverbs says, that our, heart takes its, our life takes its shape from our heart from the beliefs of our heart. Out of our heart flows the forces, the future. Our future really is set in motion by the beliefs of our heart. It's actually what Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three. 23. If you believe in, uh, you know, it, uh, uh, you can say to the mountain, be removed for whatever a man believes in his heart says with his mouth, that's gonna come to pass. You see, God loves us, amen? amen. He loves us a lot. Got a plan for our life. 
He's got wonderful things for us. But our beliefs can limit what God himself does in our life. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. Doesn't matter how hard you try. Doesn't matter how good you are. You know, see, my beliefs can, can form my heart and my life, but my misbeliefs can shape my heart or shape my life in a way that causes me to fall short. Think about some of the traditions. We all have traditions, but I'm thinking about Christian traditions, traditions in the church. I grew up in a particular church. Some of you have grown up in similar kinds of churches, but for whatever reason, part of what I heard is I needed to be a better person, and the, the, better, the better of a person that I was, the more God would love me, and the more that God would love me, the more that he would bless me, and if I wasn't being blessed, then probably God didn't love me much because I wasn't doing, now that's how I interpret it. It's not what they said, but, but that's how I interpret it, that because my life wasn't as blessed as it could be, it must be because God didn't love me as much and he probably didn't love me as much as because I wasn't doing what he wanted me to do. And so therefore, I thought if I just did the, did the do's more and was better at doing the do's and, and quit doing the don'ts, then my life would be better. Now, there's a principle that at work there. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. But... Our in fact, the Bible says, talks about Jesus at one point in his ministry. He said that he could do no mighty work. Think about this. The son of God, God's son on the earth, people around him that had needs, and he couldn't do anything powerful. And it wasn't because he didn't want to do it. <clears throat> it wasn't because the people weren't good people. It wasn't because the people weren't sincere. It wasn't because the people, you know, weren't good enough. Jesus himself, or the Bible itself says that Jesus couldn't do any mighty work there because of their traditions. Their traditions made void or powerless the power of God. How powerful is our misbeliefs? People have misbeliefs about God all over the place. Part of the reason we exist as a church, we're trying to help, and, and, and please understand, we're not saying we're perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we're trying to help us reshape some of the borders of our heart and of our life where we are misbelieving. You know, just like beliefs in God and about the word of God shape our life, beliefs about life, things that people who are influential and powerful in our life, if you will, <clears throat> can speak things to us and we take it to heart. I remember when I was a youth pastor, youth and children's pastor in Texas, a person came to me, Pastor Terry was gone one Sunday, my pastor was gone one Sunday, he asked me to preach, and, and, and you know, I was a youth pastor, children's pastor, I was extremely young in ministry and in life, I, I didn't have a lot of confidence, and, 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 and I accidentally used humor, and it's a part of, just kind of a part of who, <coughs> who I was, I have a sense of humor, and I'm proud of it, not afraid to use it at any moment. In fact, when I'm uncomfortable, I will use my sense of humor, and it comes out extremely inappropriate sometimes, but it's just sort of my, I'm sorry, but it's just sort of my defense mechanism. It's just kind of how I'm wired. And so anyway, and you're wired differently, and apparently this person that, that was about to speak to me was wired way differently because he came up to me, influential person in the church, and he said, you know what, Brian? He said, when you're with the youth and, with the, and you're with the children, you wear one hat. But when you're with the adults, you need to take off that hat and you need to put on a different hat. Now, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Quit screwing around. Because in his term, my sense of humor was screwing around. Now, had I known then what I know now, I'd have said, oh, so you want me to be dead like you. <laughs> but I didn't. I took it to heart. And you know what that did? It's a small thing. 
But something else happened years and years before that. My dad off the cuff, and I don't know, if, I don't know, it just, it's one of those things. I don't know that it happened a lot, but it happened one time and it resonated. He said to me, he said, you're an accident waiting for a place to happen. Actually, he said more like, oh my God, you're an accident waiting for a place to happen. Just like that. Now, I, I don't know that that ever happened again after that. But remember, your beliefs govern what you think, say, and do. That statement became some nails in my heart that misshaped my heart. And after that moment, if I was at school and dropped my books, I was like, oh, jeez, I'm an accident waiting for a place to happen. I do something stupid, which, you know, I mean, a teenage boy. How many of you have teenage boys? All right. How many of you are ever a teenage boy? You know they're prone to do something stupid once in a while, right? Every time I did something stupid, I was like, oh, just an accident waiting for a place to happen. Well, you compound that. That shaped, my, that shaped the borders of my life because my life flows from my heart. My life flows from what I believe. Good or bad, positive or negative, your life flows from what you believe. And so the combination of you're in an accident waiting for a place to happen and then with a respected person of influence who says you need to change how you do what you do, that affected me. It limited me. It caused me to try to be somebody that I wasn't. And then I couldn't respond to who God had made me to be. Now, I'm not saying that you never receive correction from people. I'm not saying that you don't do those things. What I'm saying is be careful. Think of your life like a blank canvas. You better be careful who you give the paintbrush of your life to. Because there will be people who will, this is for somebody this morning, there will be people who try to paint pictures in your life that are inaccurate and not true. And those, those pictures, those images will be the governor and limiter of your life. And so over the next couple of weeks, we want to talk about some of these things because what you believe is so important to your life because what you believe forms the boundaries of your life, of your experience, of everything else. But here's the wonderful thing. And this is the reason we're talking about this this morning because I mentioned this last week. If you were here last week, Psalm 91 Sunday, we talked about how this world that we live in today, that we kind of take for granted, it is what it is and all those things. This world that we live in today does not operate the way that God originally intended for this world to operate. This world is broken. All you need to do is watch the news for 10 minutes. You realize how broken this world is. Now, we just sort of think, oh, that's just sort of the way it is. It might be the way that it is, but it's not, it's not the way that God intended. This world is broken. It does not operate right. And because this world is broken, this world that is broken breaks people. <laughs> and it is into a broken world with broken people that Jesus came. Jesus came because there were a lot of misbeliefs about God. The heart of humanity was broken. When I talk about being brokenhearted, I'm not talking about a broken heart as it relates to maybe some deep emotional thing, I and mean, that can be a part of it. It can be a part of how our heart might be damaged. I'm not talking about a bad breakup. I'm not talking about those kind of things about being brokenhearted in that context. I'm talking about being brokenhearted with misbelieving. My heart doesn't function right. My heart is out of shape. My heart is out of balance. It is out of round because of, 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 of wrong beliefs. And there were many people that Jesus encountered that had wrong beliefs about his heavenly father. They thought that God was mean. They thought that God didn't love them. They thought that the way to please God was by keeping the law and the 10 commandments and doing everything right. And yet Jesus and the apostle Paul and others came and said, it's impossible. You cannot keep the law. The law will only bring you to death. The law will only bring you to condemnation. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law and then gave grace. And that doesn't mean that we just don't 
that, that there is no standards, not what I'm saying at all. If you live your life according, if you will shape your beliefs according to what God says, your life's gonna work out better. He loves you so much that he's given you guardrails. He's given you boundaries of his word that will bring safety and protection and blessing into your life. But if you think that God is mean, that God is cruel, that is a belief. It is a misbelief, but it will shape your life and it will shape your experience with God. And so Jesus came and he stepped into this life as a savior to heal broken humanity, to bring light and life to them. In fact, he didn't just heal broken humanity. He got them out of the way and gave us a brand new life. Praise God. But there's, a, there, there's something about the heart. At the beginning of this video, you, saw, you may have heard this, you may not have, but we've all experienced pain in life, haven't we? I mean, I could stand here for 10 minutes and list deep pains that I know in this congregation. Deep pains from untimely deaths to divorces to infidelity to all kinds of different things. People have been hurt in life. But can I tell you something this morning? Because this world is broken and because this life is as it is and there's a lot of stuff that happens, there's a great big difference from experiencing the pain of life from a whole healthy heart and experiencing the pain of life from a broken heart. Experiencing life from a healthy heart is going to bring you to the Prince of Peace and bring you to life. But experiencing pain in life from a broken heart can leave you angry and bitter and mean. And that's not what God has. In the book of Ezekiel, this is a, a prophetic scripture, but in the book of Ezekiel, it says this, verse 19, chapter 11, verse 19 says, I will give them one heart. The New International says, I will give them an undivided heart, a united heart. Their, their heart is going to be together. He says, I will put a new spirit within them and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. This is partially talking about the new birth when, when, when we make Jesus the Lord of our life. He removes the old, the heart, and he puts something living on the inside of us. But when that happens, we're also gonna be able to do something and have something that we couldn't have before. Verse 20 says that they may, here's the reason he wants to do this, that they may walk in my statutes in my way or my word and keep my judgments and do them. And I love this, they shall be my people, I will be their God. They'll be my people and I'll be their God. I will be the powerful one in their life. They're gonna be my people, my sons and my daughters, my children, and I'll be powerful in their life. But it starts with having an undivided heart. It starts with having a whole heart, a healthy heart, a united heart. I, I, and we'll get into this in future weeks, but I believe that a united heart, a healthy heart, is when my spirit, my soul, my body, my emotions, my will, when it is all functioning together under the governorship of the Holy Spirit, when that happens, that is a one-hearted being. And I'll tell you what, that one-hearted being, being is unstoppable. There's nothing that's impossible to that person. You see, we all have limited beliefs. We have limitations in what we actually believe that God could do. Many of you think God could never work in you. God could never work through you. God could never do things uh, uh, to, to bless and benefit you because of your past or because of your present or because you're not good enough or because you're not smart enough or because you were born to the wrong family or because of this or because of that. You had a bad business deal. You had a bad marriage. You had a bad relationship. You had bad, 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 bad. And you think it's over and it's done. That is a belief that is going to limit the boundaries of your life. But I'm here to tell you this morning, God's greater. 
God is bigger than that. God, I mean, his mode of operation, you read the Bible, it is full of people who had issues and problems, full of people, praise God, that God stepped into their life and changed them. Praise God. Praise God. Woo! Sorry, just got me a little excited this morning. You know why? Because I'm just a, I am an accident waiting for a place to happen. But you know what I found out? When I surrendered my heart to the Heavenly Father, and I'm still doing this, we all should be. God, there's parts of my heart that are broken. They just don't work right. I don't think right. I don't know why I get angry at those things. Why? It doesn't make sense to me. And I've got I've to figure out what is the brokenness in my heart? What is the brokenness in my life that doesn't allow me to respond to the grace and love that you want me to respond with? What's the impatience in my heart and in my life that causes me to respond and get angry because it's not happening fast enough? Get going. Don't you know I'm important? <laughs> why am I waiting in line? 27 registers, three people. Come on. Apparently, I've struck a nerve. You've all thought that. So here's the deal. Jesus is the cure. <laughs> Pardon me? <laughs> I was asked if that was humor. <clears throat> Only if it's funny. <laughs> like somebody said, a little humor there. Yeah, very little. Anyway, uh, your heart, your belief system determines the boundaries of your life. It really, really does. In the book of Luke, Jesus, among other things, said this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is why Jesus came. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me or empowered me to preach the gospel to the poor. When he referred to the poor, he's not just talking about people who are in unfortunate financial conditions. When he's talking about the poor, he's not talking about the person that lives in the van under the bridge. Not talking about the person on the corner. That can be part of it. But when you are poor, that means you have lack. You do not have enough. So if you are poor in the area of love, you do not have enough love, you're poor. You don't have, you don't have enough peace, you're poor when it comes to peace. You can have all the money in the world, but you might be poor when it comes to peace. And so he said, I've come to preach the gospel. There is something, there's something in God's word that will touch and affect your heart. And it will cause your heart to be reshaped if it's out of shape or has misbeliefs. It will, the gospel will bring healing to your heart and to your life so that you will have peace or that you will be able to walk in love. So he said, I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Where there is division in your heart, where your heart has been misshaped or, or there's misbeliefs in your heart, God said, I sent my son Jesus, the living word, to bind together, to unify the thoughts and lives of our heart. And then he said, and the recover, or to proclaim liberty to the captives. Do you realize that there are people who are held captive every day by what they think? And what they think governs, or what they believe governs what they think. We're, we're held in captivity. I'm not good enough. I'm just ugly. I don't have, you know, whatever it is. And then he says, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind. There are times we do not see correctly. But he wants us. And our ability to see correctly comes from a whole heart. And then he says, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And just like these nails create the boundary of our heart, our beliefs create the boundary of our life. So, if, and I believe it does, the condition of your heart determines the condition of your life, then how's your heart? 
If the conditions of your heart determine your life, then how's your heart? Because that's an important question that we all have to consider. And, and when it says we're to guard our heart, it doesn't mean that we guard our heart from everything. Because sometimes what we do is we try to hide our heart, guard our heart from everything and everyone, including God. I was talking with somebody this week, and they were talking about a small group that they were in, and they said, I hadn't realized it, but for, I forget how many years this person said, 40 years, I think, for 40 years, I've been mad at God, and I didn't know it, until I took a moment and opened up my heart and let God look in it. And, and, and she said, the moment that I realized that I had been angry at God for 40 years, I was able to receive the healing that he wanted to bring to me. Praise God. It takes us being honest with God. And so I'm gonna ask you, would you please this morning, bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around for just a moment. I wanna give you an, an invitation, first of all, to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. We mentioned the scripture in Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10, if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, confess with our mouth that he is Lord, then we will be saved. It's not attending a church, not being a member, it's not XYZ denomination. It is a heart decision that you make. And if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your savior and you would like to today, I wanna lead you in a very simple prayer. That's all I'm gonna ask you to do. If you wanna make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, would you just slip your hand up real quickly? Anyone at all? Yes, ma'am, thank you. Anyone else? Just go ahead, all over the place. Yeah, thank you, this whole world. Thank you, guys. Anyone else this morning? Just hold your hand up for a second. I just like to identify it, see it. Praise God. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you. All right, two things we're gonna do. First of all, we're gonna pray in just a second. For those of you that, that are gonna pray this prayer, I, before I forget it, there is some information, a card. We wanna help you walk through what you're about to do. If you would give us that, that uh, opportunity, uh, we'll ask you to fill that thing out. But here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray. And I, and I just want you to repeat this prayer with me. In fact, I, let's all pray this prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, come to you this morning. I ask you to be my savior. I believe that Jesus died for me, that his sacrifice was enough for me. I believe that he died and he rose again. He's alive today. I believe that. I declare today, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You're the governor of my life. I surrender to you all of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me and setting me free. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I thank you for these that have prayed this prayer for the first time, and I thank you for this entire congregation of men and women. I pray, Heavenly Father, that throughout this series that, that you would lead us, that you would direct us and help us to expose our heart to you so that we can truly see on the inside, so that we can truly see perhaps where we're missing it, where we're misshapen and where we're broken. And Father, I pray that Jesus would be the one who would bind up and heal every broken heart that is in here. I thank you that every limitation, every, every thought that we would lend itself to not being good enough would be removed because Jesus, you're the standard bearer of our life. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.